This is Kareem Kanji, and you're listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast with Ari Shapiro. Podcast, and I'm your host as always, Ari Shapiro. You know, it's hard to believe, but we are merely days away from Jay Happ throwing the first pitch in the first game of the regular season against the New York Yankees. First, we're going to watch the team compete in Montreal, which is a rite of passage, and I certainly hope that this year will give us a real beautiful glimpse at what Vladimir Guerrero and Bobuchet really are capable of. And Let's be frank, people, that's what we're all going to be tuning in over the next couple of nights, is to see what the future holds in store, even though we know that these players will need sufficient time to develop in the minor league system. But still, there's, there's an excitement in the air, and, and I, am, I am one who's been waiting for this baseball season to start for what seems like an eternity. So it's only fitting that in order to get us revved up and prepared for this upcoming baseball season, I present to you an action-packed show filled with the kind of baseball commentary that'll get you through the night. The roundtable for this episode features three gentlemen whom I'm especially proud to have featured on my show. I'm talking about from south of the six, Adam Corsair, from the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network, Richard Burfer, and from the Levy Institute, Marshall Auerbach, who all sat down with me a little while ago, who sat down with me to discuss all things Blue Jays, in particular, we covered whether or not the prediction of 87 wins by Fangraph is a realistic number. We talked about whether Curtis Granderson will bring to the table anything more than just intangibles, and what exactly intangibles mean for the Blue Jays in such a transitional year. We also delved into understanding what Mark Shapiro set out to do in molding this team to represent his version of success in Major League Baseball. And I found this subject matter particularly interesting considering that Mark Shapiro has slowly and gradually and meticulously made this team from one that had all the trademarks of an Alex Anthopoulos-constructed product to one that is truly becoming a representation of what he had in mind for this market. We also talk about the concept of courtship in baseball, whether or not that whole notion of going after a player and wooing him is all but gone, given the economic reality of free agency, and why it's crucial to establish a culture of winning sooner rather than later when trying to bring up players that you hope you can invest in, that are young, raw, elite prospects that need to pan out for your team to take a step forward. Also featured in this episode is yet another installment from the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network, courtesy of Richard Burfer and Dan Sagan, who give us a closer look at Lourdes Gurriel and Rowdy Telez in understanding whether or not these two players fit into the future of the team. And, and that's a great question, because we've had a lot of names bandied about in spring training as to who will or will not make the team. And certainly Gurriel and Telez represent two players that fans have been aching to have joined the team and bring some kind of contribution on the infield, knowing how perilous things are moving forward this year. Of course, before you continue on with the show, be sure to check out www.jaysjournal.com 
where we have some articles trending that I think you'll find particularly intriguing. Chris Henderson covers a look at what a healthy Aaron Sanchez means to the Blue Jays' playoff hopes. This, of course, being a player who has spent four disabled stints last year, a total of eight starts and 36 innings, when he should have really been a cog in the wheel. And, of course, we know that that will be the key to this year. If Aaron Sanchez can stay healthy, there is no question in anybody's mind that this rotation will have the capacity to go toe-to-toe with many frontline teams. Chris also takes a look at a Stroman versus Sanchez competition in 2018 and what that kind of competitive spirit might mean between those two players in making them overachieve for giddy fans. Our other side expert Clayton Riche also looks at Jose Bautista desperately trying to find employment with either the Atlanta Braves or the Tampa Bay Rays. And of course, at the time of this taping, I have to tell you, it's looking bleak, which is a real shame considering that this is a player who really wouldn't mind taking a single-year deal to give himself some momentum after leading the team with the lowest batting average and strikeouts in one season ever during the twilight of his career. So needless to say that there's a lot of intrigue going on in baseball, and I'd rather not delay things but throw you right into this great round table we have. Stick around here on the Jays Journal Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. My first guest is a blogger, producer, and host of the critically acclaimed South of the Six podcast. Adam Corsair joins us on the round table. Adam, welcome back, and thanks for dropping in. Thanks for having me, man. Good to be here. Hey, listen, it's my pleasure. I had a lot of fun on your show. We're going to talk about that later. So I'm Definitely. really glad you could find the time. My, uh, my next guest on the round table is the regional supervisor at the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network and a frequent contributor to the show. Richard Burfer is here live with us, and it's about time, wouldn't you say, my friend? Yes, sir. I love talking baseball with you, man. Glad to be on board. You certainly do, and I love the fact that like every week I install little modules of you, but I can't respond to your insights. So now we've got you on the show, so we're going to talk a lot about some of the things you've been talking about over the last few weeks. And of course, my final guest has become a regular on the Jays Journal podcast because he loves pointing out when I'm wrong on Twitter and doing it in a way that doesn't make me feel too bad, really. He's a market analyst at the Levy Institute, Marshall Auerbach. Enter the arena, good sir. How are you? How are you? I'm fine. Uh, thanks for that kind introduction. I don't. I don't think I point out uh, your errors. You don't make that many errors, Ari. And uh, I also want to add, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, Adam's uh, blog as well. In fact, I swap uh, uh, tweets with him from time to time on the Raptors. So there we go. Big happy yeah, yeah. family. Thank <laughs> you. And, and Thank you for checking out. For the listener, it's obvious why your genial nature is always welcomed here on the Jay's Journal podcast. So let's let's see if we can roll with this 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 nice uh, fromage we have going on right now. A little bit of joie de vivre mixed with poutine. Let's let's talk about what I started the other day with my roundtable when I had some great writers on. We were discussing the perception of this team, and naturally, I did what I always do. I gave my questions, my quasi editorials, if you will, because God knows I do love to hear the sound of my own voice. But today, I was a little bit speechless. I I thought to myself, look at this. Tyler Clippard has joined the fray. Yet another reclamation project. And I thought to myself, (laughs) is it really this easy? And I want to start with you, Rich. Richard, tell me, is it this easy that Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins go out and get their second and third choices and their bargain basement deals, and we're just going to accept the fact that this team will be an 87-win Fangraphs predicted team? Well, the thing with the Jays right now, if you look at what they're trying to do, is they're dishing out a ton of one-year deals. 
And really, it seems like they're throwing a bunch of things at the wall and hope, hoping something sticks. I've, I'm actually a bit of a fan of this Tyler Clippard signing, especially because the pace of play rules have been discussed and they're not going to be instituting the time, the 22nd sh- uh, clock. So Tyler Clippard, Clipper, a guy who really takes his time on the mound, this might be something really beneficial for him. And he's trying to bounce back. He always had a really good changeup. So... I mean, this is exciting, and I'm actually kind of excited to see what the Jays are going to put put together on the field. Um, if they actually stay healthy, if everybody produces, they might be one of the more under-the-radar teams. Yeah, the interesting thing about Clippert is that he's um, he's been very, very good uh, with um, mm-hmm. uh, left-handers. Uh, um, um, so, um, you know, he actually his his his... Uh, uh, his splits are his reverse splits are are are, are actually very very effective. So um, if and he is, so he can, he can make a, a, he can possibly give them a, a second left handed option mm-hmm. as well. Although personally, I prefer Tim Mesa in that role, and I'm not sure that mm-hmm. he's a, he's a lot of a, he's a very much a fly ball pitcher. So mm-hmm. I do worry a little bit about um, you know it's, in my view, it's a signing that that doesn't harm the team at all. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's like you said, Ari. You know you you throw some spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. And I think that's another one. So, uh, you know, I, I've, I've generally been supportive of uh, most of the um, acquisitions they've made in the off season, except for Curtis Granderson, which I'll go into. It's my, my pet tea, but I'll save it for later. Um, to kind of counter what you said, though, um, the thing I, I mean with Tyler Clifford, because he has that changeup, that good changeup, that's kind of the equalizer that he uses when he faces left-handed bats. So that's mm-hmm. kind of why you see the reverse splits because it's a pitch that kind of fades down and away from lefties, and that's kind of what he uses to really dominate left-handers. But as well, what you said with Tameza, I love the arm. There's What's not to love? He's a big guy. Um, he throws hard, and he has a, a good off-speed pitch to really have have some success in the bullpen. So the Jays have some options, and really that's all, all you can ask for as a manager. Yeah, I think the main part about – the main thing that I'm did taking away from these signings, these short one-year deal signings, is that they're sort of inconsequential, right? It, it mm-hmm. only really raises the floor for the team. It's not like any big, sexy moves that are going to turn heads. It's just sort of, yeah, this is sort of solidifying the team, making it a little bit deeper. And I think that's where the trials and tribulations stem from last year, right? They didn't have the depth to sort of back up and to mitigate those injuries that occurred. So I think that was mm-hmm. the main focal point of this year and their uh, their search to sort of establish depth and make sure that they don't repeat the same mistakes twice. I need to understand what your problem is with Curtis Granderson. And the reason I'm <laughs> asking you that question, Marshall, is because I, I actually know the answer. I know the answer because unlike the majority of people who read up about what a great character he is and all the great job that he's done with the union and, and the way he represents the sport and, and his character in the clubhouse, there are hardcore realists who look at his last three years, including what he did last year with the Dodgers, and realize that this is a player who tr- truly is at a stage that many would consider might even be where Jose Bautista is at, which is a, a gradual regression of skills that they were once better remembered for, for if you're a really nostalgic individual like myself. That being said, we want him to succeed. Um, are you worried that maybe this is going to betray itself sooner than later? Is that what your concern is, that people will see he's really not that good and these signings really weren't all that great? Well, he's a 37-year-old, so that's one year older than Jose, and uh, yes, he did show signs of regression last year. 
Um, and everyone says, well, it was only five million bucks and he can play in platoon with Steve Pierce, which uh, still doesn't give you a great defensive uh, um, um, uh, alignment. But, uh, but um, as I've said repeatedly on Twitter to the point where people told me to shut up about it, I, I would have rather seen them sign someone like Jared Dyson. And the, the argument that you know, Dyson would have been more expensive, of course, has been blown completely out of the water because he signed a two-year deal with the, uh, the D-backs for 7.5 million. So to me, getting a guy like that for 7.5 million, someone who has um, you know, outstanding defensive skills, um, can play center field, um, which would of course free up the possibility of trading Pilar as, as, as one hypothetical, um, has great speed, um, reasonable offense, uh, bats about 250, and a left-handed bat to, to, to boot. Um, it, it was, that would have been a much more sensible signing as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, Granderson I think was a, a, a big mistake. I hope I'm proved wrong. I'm sure he's a great guy in the clubhouse. Uh, I have friends here in New York who are diehard Mets fans who love the guy um, as a person, but you know, that's just my take. I think it was a, it was one of those, um, it was a bargain too many, uh, especially as it constrained their ability to get someone who I think would have been a much better fit in terms of what they're trying to do. More left-handed hitting, more speed and more athleticism. Do you think that they were trying to prioritize the clubhouse presence and the veteran leadership with the absence of so many people? Uh, well, pretty much just Jose from last year. I mean, they already seem to have that in Tulo, so I'd like to think that wasn't the main reason for signing him, but he's, I mean, they're pretty much betting on a bounce back right now. So I, I don't know if, in your opinion, do you think that they were sort of prioritizing a, a leadership role for the team? I'm sure there was a, that there's an element of that. Uh, you know, that's not a, a great thing to do, and, and unnecessary. I mean, you had you had uh, you have Josh Donaldson, who's who's really clearly assuming that role. You, you have Russell Martin uh, as well. I don't think there was. I didn't get a sense. Uh, I'd be interested to hear other views on this, but I didn't get a sense that there was a problem in, at all in the clubhouse last year. I mean, there was a lot of injuries and um, and there was a lot of dissatisfaction about the uh, the medical staff. But I never had a sense that. You know, there's a, there's bad blood or, the, or, or warring camps between various uh, factions. So, uh, to me, that's not a good rationale for uh, signing him. They, I think they're betting for a bounce back season and thinking that he's a, a very effective platoon with Pierce. Um, and um, I just think there are better options out there, and cost effective options, which seems to be the the thing that drives so many of these decisions these days. What if we're looking at the eyeglass in reverse, though, Marshall? What if it wasn't about whether the Blue Jays had actual leaders trying to keep the ship steady through tumultuous waters? What if it was just general apathy? What if there were so many players in that locker room last year who reached a point where they kind of shrugged their shoulders and realized that no matter what they were going to do, there were just too many factors hitting them all at once? Because, you know, you're going to have a year with injuries. We've seen that before with Blue Jays teams who had their – dreams, hopes and dreams dashed because of injuries. Although you could argue whenever there's been a major injury, they were never really in it. You know, when Roy Halladay got hit by that pitch, I think it was, what year, 03, that ended up yeah. uh, that ended up putting him aside for the season. It's not like the Blue Jays were a couple of games out of uh, a playoff spot. So I'm wondering if, uh, if Adam, your, your perspective on that is something that was a priority for them because it is an American style of leadership now. It's the Mark Shapiro, Ross Atkins show. And I could actually see them going in that clubhouse and saying, you know what, we've got to bring in guys who will, if we bring in young players, and when we bring in young players, might give them that leadership mold. And, and Rich, I'm going to ask you this question as someone who is 
uh, an expert on so many minor league profiles. How much of an intangible is that worth? I mean, if you were to translate Curtis Branderson's presence, can we get wins above replacement that aren't directly linked to his talent and more to just his presence? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, when you have guys like Curtis Branderson in the locker room, obviously it helps out the younger guys. It teach it, He's a great teacher to have. It's a great presence to have around. But, I mean, you've heard Curtis Branderson talk at some of the spring training games. He says Kevin Pillar is the leader of the, of the outfield. Like, if you look at the guys that are on this roster, Marcus Strom and Kevin Pillar, they've already been here long enough that – they have to start assuming that veteran leadership role. The fact that the Jays have to go out externally to get guys like Granderson, who last year he had a negative defensive war, there's not much value that comes with a guy like that on the field. And, I mean, if the Jays are trying to fill out as much the roster based on veteran leadership, then there must be bigger problems on the team. I don't think that that a signing like this was so much necessary. I think Teoscar Hernandez, Anthony Alford are guys who sh- would benefit playing on the next level. And really, it's there's only so much veteran leadership that you can have on a team. And I, personally, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of it. I think young players can also learn by playing on the next level. And the fact that you have older guys now clogging spots I mean, players are younger players are just not going to learn. There's only so much that a guy like Curtis Granderson can teach, but Teoscar Hernandez, Anthony Alford have to go out there on the field and really log in innings and actually play and learn from their own mistakes that they're going to make. Yeah, and I wonder if the the whole veteran leadership, if that if that was a factor, if that's just not a little bit redundant, right? So you do have players like Russell Martin and Troy Tulowitzki and even Jay Happen. Marco Estrada to sort of steer that ship and to lead by example. So I wasn't necessarily thinking that that was the sole reason. I just, I wasn't sure if that was, if, you know, you see the outfield, it's, it's rather young, especially when you, when you include the, the prospects that, you know, could see some time this year. I didn't know if he would be sort of that lead by example role, but I, I, after thinking about it and thinking about the players on the team, it is sort of redundant. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and, um, you know, if the, if the idea is that ultimately uh, you're going to make room for someone like uh, uh, Anthony Alford or Teoscar in the middle of the season, fine. But um, I still think there were, uh, in that case, it, it was a, an even more superfluous. So the only thing that the reason this could work is if collectively they get a performance out of that platoon in left field that is, say, comparable to the one that you had with Smoke and Colabello in 2015. If it works like that, then great, I'm wrong. But, um, you know, I could see clear rationale for all the other acquisitions that were made, uh, uh, Solarte, uh, Diaz, um, et cetera. Um, even Clippard, I, you know, there, there, there's some sense to it. But, um, yeah, that one I, is, is the one that I thought was a, a bargain basement signing too far. I mean, basement being the operative word. <laughs> I wonder if it didn't have anything to do with, like, the name appeal as well. Just to, like, sort of make it, like, attractive, like, make it sound more attractive than it actually is. Like, oh, we have Curtis Grandison, but, like, you know, if they don't realize, like, the casual fan may not realize that it's no longer Curtis Grandison anymore. Well, John well, Heyman actually reported that Curtis Grandison might even retire after last season, and now he's coming to the Jays. <laughs> so... You know, I don't think that appeal is even there anymore. It's not like it's the 2006 Detroit Tigers. Right. I mean, yeah. 
And if anything, the Jays have a ton of guys who are very similar to Curtis Granderson in that sense. Sure. I mean, to me, it's interesting. You've got, as, as I think it was Adam pointed out earlier, you, uh, you've got a, a ton of guys on one-year contracts this year or, you know, a bunch that are expiring. So, I mean, this is really just a, a transitional year. Uh, I mean, it, it will be... It'll be interesting to watch just to see how quickly they start moving in the newer guys and 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 get a sense a better sense of what um, the team's going to look like in 2019 because it's going to be drastically different from what it is right now. This is like um, you know this is the the combined Anthopolis uh, Shapiro um, lineup, but you you know you won't really see the the full handiwork of the new regime until next year, I don't think. Yeah, and. On the same topic on the one-year contracts that the Jays have been handing out, the fact is expiring contracts are very valuable to trade deadline. So maybe the Jays write out a guy like Curtis Granderson, say he does produce somewhat until the trade deadline. Once that comes, I mean, the Jays could sell out a ton of their players right now who are on one-year deals and eventually make room for their younger guys who are locked up for years to come. And who yeah. knows, maybe we'll see guys like Vladdy Guerrero jump up, maybe Rowdy Telez, definitely a guy like Teoscar Hernandez, Anthony Alford, and that's going to give them opportunities. So you can kind of see what the plan is going into the year. It is a, it is a transition period, and I guess you just got to got to see what happens. I think, too, that you, they sort of have to do something like that, right? That's right? If this is truly a transition year, and they're sort of just like throwing stuff against the wall to see if it sticks, see what happens, and they're hedging their bets for next year, you sort of need to know what you have for next year, right? You sort of need to know what areas you're going to need to improve on, what areas you don't need to touch at all. So in that aspect, you need to play players like Teoscar Hernandez or even Vlad Guerrero. I know, like, he's super highly touted, but still, like, on a major league level, things change, things are – adjustments are made, and – you know, we've seen prospects sort of die out before. I, I'm not saying that Vlad will be that. It's just it's happened before. Um, so I, I guess you responsibly, they do need to find out what they have in these players because I think 2019 is going to be an extremely pivotal year for this for this team, and you're not going to see this hybrid of the Anthopolis and the Shapiro mixed team that, that we've, we're seeing right now and we've seen like over the past few years. If I can use a sporting analogy um... – in, in, in some respects, uh, this team reminds me a bit of the NHL New York Rangers um, because there you had a team that was, um, you know, a consistent playoff performer, um, uh, veteran squad. They, they uh, had, um, you know, they, they never really bit the bullet and, and made the decision, okay, we've got to um, regroup uh, and, and, and um, tear this down and, and, and rebuild because they didn't really know what they had uh, until the season went on. And then they made the decision about a month ago, um, well, you know, this team isn't going to cut it and it's not going to be able to compete with the big boys. So we are going to um, do a more aggressive rebuild. Now, Toronto has been doing part of that on the quiet, uh, you know, much like the New York Yankees started to do in 2012. But they may take uh, that more aggressive step, much as, um, uh, I'll use another New York team, much as Brian Cashman did in, in, in 2015 when he basically... Um, you know, dealt uh, Chapman and um, and uh, held on to his prospects and, and and really set the stage for what they did last year. It is it is definitely fascinating for me to stop and think about what this year really means in the grand scheme of things. You know, knowing that that 
Shapiro, the regime, the transition that you mentioned, Marshall, and the way that you outlined it, Richard, it's, it's clear that not only is this a team in a state of flux, there's a metamorphosis that's going to happen inevitably and very quickly, but so are the circumstances around them leading up to not only the emergence of Vladimir Guerrero and Bo Bichette, but at the same time as the 2019 free agency period. I mean, Adam, is it safe to say that one year from now, there will be 50 more things to write about and 100% more magnification on all of what's happening in terms of the relationship between the union and, and ownership. I mean, there's so many balls in play here, and Mark Shapiro will be right at the center of it. I mean, he's really going to mold this team in his vision of success. Is it going to be something that we're all going to be grateful for in the grand scheme of things? I hope so. I really do. I I, I think you're seeing them sign players this year for on the cheap for like one year deals because they're sort of getting prepared for next year. Right. And next year with the free agency class, like they're saying that this is going to be the best free agent class in MLB history. So Sapiro has a, an incredible opportunity to really make this team his own and to really take on some, some talent to, to, solidify this team but the thing is is that it's going to cost like i'm not so sure that the free agency in terms of spending that we saw this year and last year i'm not sure that's going to be replicated next year right so you saw players like edwin last year for example signed incredibly cheap cheaper than what people were predicting and you saw a player like jd martinez this year signed incredibly cheap cheaper than what people thought he would be signing for I don't really suspect that next year. I suspect next year people are going to be ready to really open up the first springs and to really make a huge, like, I, I don't know, a huge gamble and to solidify teams and to really push it next year. And I'm really hoping that the Jays are one of those teams. That hasn't been their uh, historic track record. I mean, I, I don't personally can't see them, you know, um, getting involved in, say, a guy like Manny Machado or, um, you know, um, Bryce Harper, I, I don't see them oh, no. playing uh, the, the marquee guys, but um, I mean, I'm not. I, it'd be interesting to see what, what what kind of free agents do you have in mind that you think they could be in play for? I mean, I, the person on the first forefront is Josh Donaldson, right? I don't see a, uh, any sort of extension happening this year. And I know like this could be a whole other topic, but Josh mm-hmm. Donaldson has to be the number one person on everyone's mind. I don't. I've mentioned before, Bryce Harper, he. They're saying he might get a $500 million contract, which is absolutely absurd. But for him, it's sort of like, okay, like he's a generational talent. I can sort of see it. I wouldn't pay it. I think that's an overpay. I don't think Machado's going to get that much. But I think someone like Donaldson, you sort of have to open up and pay what, what he wants to be paid. Because he's yeah. one of these players on the team you know, that can really, really push them. Well, I guess this is the year that this will be the important year for him too, because of course the the argument that the, the, the that you know Machado might find not Machado Donaldson might find himself in in Mike Mustakis land is that um, um, he doesn't really perform well this year. That he, and even if he does, he'll be 33 next year. So you know, I, I have a sense that you know this guy. I mean, reading between the lines on the paper at newspaper accounts, it sounds as if you know he wants something that'll take him into his late 30s. Toronto is saying we're willing to pay you for say, three or four years, um, and they probably have deferred the conversations in the sense that, um, you know, they'll say, they, they, they'll, the, the Jays probably said, well, look, we're happy to let you see if you can get that kind of a contract in the, uh, 
in the in the free agency market will we'll, we'll be there if you're not. Um, and because I, I did get the sense that the talks were fairly amicable, and they're saying, look, if you can get you know a seven-year deal up to take you to age 40, you know, more power to you. But this is where we are, and this is what we're going to pay you. And um, and and then and stand by and see if that's actually um, you know what the market value is. And I think that's not a, a, a that's a pretty smart move on their part. Oh, I would agree. I would agree totally. And it's it's sort of reminiscent to the whole Edwin thing last year, right? And I think. Heading into free agency, Edwin was 33 as well. I could be wrong about that. Maybe he was turning 33. I'm not sure. But regardless, yeah. they offered him four at 80, right? And, uh, and it wouldn't surprise me, and it, I think it would be wise for the Blue Jays to offer Donaldson at least that, right? I, I wouldn't have yeah. a problem with them going, look, we're, you saw what happened with J.D. Martinez. He didn't get what he wanted. The market's sort of swinging in you know, the, the, our favor instead of the, the player's favor we're offering you like four years, 120. I mean, yeah, 120, 125. I don't really think that's a bad offer. And I don't think that really uh, is detrimental to their future in terms of building and in terms of their payroll. But at the same time, I think the Jays also have to kind of look at where they're at as a team. Like if this is a transition period and they want to go very young next year, would it be beneficial to dish out so much money to a guy like Josh Donaldson who Last year, you've, you've seen he's started getting some leg problems, and a big part of his swing, what makes him so dynamic on the field, is his lower half. That's a big part to his swing. So if he starts getting calf, calf injuries, hamstring injuries, do you really want to pay that much money and sign up for that much term with a guy like Josh Donaldson, especially if you have a guy like Vladdy Guerrero Jr. just waiting around? And from everything you hear from scouts, from management, this kid is the real deal. You see video on him, and he's just hitting lasers all over the field. The hit tool is just off the charts, and he's projected to be that future third baseman for the Blue Jays. So I think the Jays have to kind of understand uh, of where they're at. I don't think being big players next year on the market is something that's super beneficial for them, especially if they have a guy like Tulowitzki, Russell Martin locked up. I think the Jays have to just right. kind of focus on developing developing their guys, kind of like what the Toronto Maple Leafs did, just developing their young guys. And when they're at that level, when they can afford to spend, when they can see that, hey, this is our time to win, that's then, then they have to start paying. And that's really kind of the model that's been going around baseball right now. You look at the Chicago Cubs, they had that young group of hitters, and then um, Theo Epstein went out and got a John Lester. He traded for a guy like Jake Arrieta. And look at a team like Houston. They had that core group of guys brought in Brian McCann, Josh Reddick, uh, beefed up the bullpen, got an arm like Justin Verlander. Cleveland Indians last year, the exact same thing. They had guys like Francisco Lindor, Jason Kipnis grew up with the organization. And then when the team just saw that they can take that next step, that's when they opened up the wallet and just started paying guys. So I think a team like the Jays just really have to understand where they're at and not really to spend that money when all these stars are just lining up to get paid. No, I think that makes a lot of sense too. And that brings to light that on the Jays currently, I I was talking about this before, on the Jays currently, I think this is extremely telling. The only non-pitcher, right, so just fielder on the team that has gone up through the system right now is Kevin Pillar. That's it. And so, like, it's, you've never really seen the Jays, and 
really draft and develop and stick with their guys. Like their prospects have mm-hmm. been sort of looked at as capital, right? That they can liquidate to acquire talent. So like, I, I think you're right. I think having players in the system and actually seeing them through mm-hmm. might be beneficial for this team. Yeah. And you kind of look at what Mark Shapiro is trying to do with this team. You look at their farm system and it has a ton of potential. Uh, a couple of years ago, everyone was talking, Alex Antopoulos is ruining the farm system. You look at it now, you see guys like Anthony Alford, who has game-changing speed, raw power. You look at Vladi Guerrero, who has an 80-hit tool. Then you got got guys like Bo, uh, Bo Bichette. Danny Jansen look, has been looking great in spring training right now. He's gunning guys out at second, hitting doubles. Like They, they have guys right now who really could be the future of this team. You look at even a pitcher like Nate Pearson. Yes, he's hitting 100 miles stuff. an hour on the gun. Exactly. On the gun 100 regularly. miles an hour, and he has just an insane slider as well. And I mean, there's talks that this guy could really be an ace pitcher on the next level. He has the stuff to do that as well. Look at guys like TJ Zoic. TJ Zoic has great stuff. Even someone like yeah. Sean Reed Foley, who who's, has been kind of knocked up a little in spring training, but you can see the stuff is there. And a guy like Sean Foley really just has to put everything together, work to get that control because the stuff is there and the Jays just have a farm system that's full of potential. And I think yeah. that's what the, the, the Jays management is just looking at and seeing, hey, we should stick to these guys. So that's why I, I, I think 2018 and that whole big class of free agents, if the Jays aren't major players, that's totally fine. The Jays have openings in their starting rotation. That's why they brought in a guy like Jaime Garcia on a one-year deal just so they can get innings. And that's something important. So when it comes to free agency next year, maybe get more guys like that who can just kind of buffer for the Jays to just get through the year, develop their guys, and just see where they're going from there. Yeah, he can come back next year too, if I'm not mistaken, on an option. So there's always that. There we go. I find it deliciously ironic that this roundtable, which has serious baseball rationalists in it, and and being a baseball rationalist means that, as we were just discussing and you were pointing out, Richard, it, it doesn't make a lot of scientific baseball fact to commit to Josh Donaldson for the next five, six, seven years mm-hmm. when you understand what that risk entails. Again, scientifically, sabermetically, the law of averages, adhering to everything that, like, you know, clear mathematical and scientific realities of baseball teaches us. But from the fans' perspective, it isn't science, is it? It's a religion. It's faith. Faith in the fact that if you're going to be a fan of the team, they will do everything they can to adhere to your favorites and to give you the team that you want. So you've got to kind of suspend your disbelief and say, Josh Donaldson brings so much more to the table than... You, you don't necessarily need to look at with wins above replacement, even though if you do, you'll realize this is a game-breaking player today. Today, right now. Right now, the Blue yeah. Jays have a player who's come out and said, I'd love to stay here and finish my career if you'll give me a contract that I think is fair. And, and I don't think it's going to come down to him being greedy. I think it's going to come down to the Jays deciding whether frugality, as in the Edwin case. I mean, Adam, we didn't talk about this, but we've 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 alluded to it in the past, there was no courtship. Like the baseball courtship is dead. If the team really wanted Edwin, they wouldn't have waited until after they digested his swing that got them into the playoffs. Because up until that point, he would not have even received an offer. 
So if we look at that and we ask ourselves, what are the Blue Jays doing to court Josh Donaldson? Let me ask you, let's start with you, Richard. Are they courting him, or do you feel that this will be a laissez-faire and hopefully scientific answer like you provided of them realizing this isn't a commitment we need to make? We should just continue mm-hmm. with our plan even though there will be fallout because the fans yep. love this guy. He's a game-breaker MVP. How many are there in yeah. the league, guys? Five, six? No. One hand? When, when a guy like Josh Donaldson is healthy, he's by far a top-five player in baseball. But you look at um, – the excitement around the Jays in September just they saw guys like Richard Urania who's not even that great of a prospect and fans are excited because they see the young guys they see the future and I understand that a guy like John, Josh Donaldson just generates so much more fan interest but you look at guys like Urania um, Teoscar Hernandez these when they they came out onto the field and started like Teoscar Hernandez had about eight bombs in September alone and guys and fans just became very excited because they can see the future that this team has. If you kind of keep the same court together, bring in Josh Donson who might get injured or might start uh, getting worse with each year, fans will eventually realize that, like, where's this team going, you know? And eventually when it comes to free agency, with a guy like Josh Donson, players will always take that extra year. They will always take a little bit more money. If you think think about what happened with Dexter Fowler, the Jays were so close to signing him, and then the Cardinals came in and gave him one more year of term. That's mm-hmm. important for players, and that's really what's going to be the big difference maker. And really, a lot of fans always get upset of, why can't the Jays sign this guy? Why can't the Jays sign this player? It's really all about term, and if the Jays offer a guy like Josh Donaldson a four-year deal, what if somebody comes in and offers five? What are the Jays going to do? Go. Exactly. But yeah, yeah. I also will say this um, in in defense of uh, the Jays. I think uh, as far as Encarnacion went, um, you know, he was the one who said, you know, I don't want to talk about this until you know when, when the when the season's not on yet. And and um, and he clearly thought, as I think a lot of us did, that he was going to Boston was going to come in with a big uh, five or six year offer, 125, 150 million, and, and it turned out that the offer that he got from Toronto was not only fair, it was like the best one he had. And I, and to the Jays' credit, I think they 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 learned from that mistake in the sense that um, you know they pulled the the offer too quickly, they uh, went too uh, fast, uh, and and in this year they like a lot of other teams waited to see waited for the market to come back to them, and I suspect. In a sense, they have done a bit of more of a courtship with um, Donaldson. You know, all the all the uh, the talk uh, after subsequent to them closing down the negotiations was very friendly. Uh, both uh, both sides were very complimentary about the other. You didn't get any sense like you did with um, Bautista that um, you know that some that a few people were rubbed the wrong way. But I I just think it was an honest uh, um, dis- disagreement about what uh, he was going to get in term. Um, he obviously believes in himself, Josh Donaldson, and, and as he should, he's a great player. But, you know, even last year, he was showing some deterioration. He was getting injured. Um, he was great when he played, but his defense was not as, as, as strong as it was in 2015. His war has, has deteriorated. So will that trend continue or will he bounce back and really give himself a good payday? I mean, he's, he's fully incentivized to do so right now, but I'm, I'm not sure... Uh, the the Jays were being uh, cruel to be kind. I think they 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 made a it was a cold rational assessment. But I'm 
I think it was the right one to make. Let's see what, if he wants six, seven years, let's see what he does this year. And um, as you guys have pointed out earlier, you've got Lally Jr. waiting in the wings. He is a third baseman. Um, so um, I, I don't blame them for any of the measures that they've uh, taken other than the one that we've discussed already. And um, uh, I also think that the uh, other acquisitions were consistent with what they I- intended to do. I, I'm not sure that any of the, 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 the bigger names made sense except for perhaps a pitcher. I, I kind of wish they had... Um, um, gone for someone like Cobb or even Arietta uh, rather than um, going for um, Garcia. But again, um, you know, uh, it's it's Garcia was not a bad acquisition, better him than some of the other names they were talking about. And, I, and I'm glad they didn't sign anyone, someone like Carlos Gonzalez. So on the whole, I think they, they bought sensibly. They filled their needs. Um, and, um, you know, it, the team is probably or maybe good enough to be the, a wild card. It's certainly not good enough to win the division, but um, we all know that anyway. So in, in, given that, with that in mind, why would you go for broke when you know, you've got the Yankees and the Red Sox standing between you? That's true. It, it's like the Blue Jays are this, the meat in a weird sandwich, right? You have the Red Sox and the Yankees up top on the top bread, and you have the stale bread on the bottom with the Orioles and the, and the Rays. But I don't know, with, with this regime with this uh, front office, you sort of have to trust them, right? They trust their evaluation of talent and trust how they're giving out contracts. Because let's not forget, it was two years ago that Bautista was seeking a five-year 150, and the front office was like, no, it's just not going to happen. And a lot of fans were upset with that. A lot of fans were thinking, like, how could you? He, he single-handedly brought us to the ALCS. Like, he's he, the bat flip, blah, blah, blah. He's a part of the history of the team. And to their credit, to the front office credit, they, they stood their ground and say, no, we're not willing to offer you that. We'll give you the qualifying offer, but, you know, we're not moving from that. And so if they apply that to, to Donaldson in such a way, like I said, I'm comfortable with four years. It's not ideal, but I am comfortable with it. Having him until he's like 37, it's, it's okay. But I guess I just don't want to go higher than that because I don't want to see another two with on this team. I don't want to I see agree. another player, you know, like – you mentioned, Rich, that you know he had calf issues. And let's not forget, I know people don't like talking about it. I know it's a sore subject, but this is turf. Turf does play a, a, plays a toll on the body, and it's not like natural grass. And it has, you know, limited careers. It's, you know, look at Jose Reyes it's, it's just, and Brett Laurie. It just happens. So I don't want to see another Troy Tulowitzki on this team. I don't want to see another player that we've idolized and just see them, like, walk out like a wounded dog, much like Jose did last year. I'm personally glad he's not on this team this year. I'm personally very glad that we did not give him a five-year deal because how much would we be regretting that today? Today, mm-hmm. So I, I do trust their evaluation of talent. I do trust that they're going to make the right decisions to improve this team, especially when it comes to free agency. Yeah. And on the topic of Donaldson, I think it will ultimately come down to the Jays just figuring out what the plan is moving forward. They get to 2018 offseason, at that point, it's just what do they see themselves in two, three years down the line? Is it, does it make sense to them to spend right now on a guy like Donaldson, or should they invest in their farm system, or should they just completely flip the script and just try to win some more? It honestly really depends where they're at at the end of the year and what they see themselves becoming moving forward. And until they make that plan, once that plan is just like set in stone, and the rap, uh, and then the Jays will have to figure things out from there. 
it's just so bloody tumultuous on all fronts, if you think about it. Positionally, uh, starting rotation, bullpen. Uh, I've never seen a team that could be so radically different next year. And as well, all the de- excuses and alibis that will come from rationalizing it. Like that, That's what concerns me, is that the Josh Donaldson debate is really about sentiment versus cold, hard baseball logic, if you think about it. But knowing that this market and this team needs a leader moving forward, if you sign Josh Donaldson long-term and accommodate your budget so you've made that really nice, fancy investment in that Bentley you've always wanted, and you know that maybe in the first few years you'll get real prime value for showing it off, but in the back end it's going to be rusty and nobody wants to imagine a 38-year-old Josh Donaldson. But if he can help you develop your your prospects, and Richard, you, you always talk about in your reports on my show the the, the leadership examples and what needs to be done to establish a culture of winning. Can't the case really be made that Josh Donaldson, having had to share that plateau when Bautista was here and, you know, with Tulo and Martin being ascribed leaders as well, I think if you sign him to a long-term deal and you make him a Blue Jay right up until the end, then you've got a guy who will call this his team. Is there any value in that? Well, I mean, there's always value in having a guy like that who's willing to take players under their wings. But at some point a team has to realize it's a 25 man roster. And is there really value to having a guy like a 38 year old player just occupy that roster spot? Like the same can be said about players right now on the team, a guy like Curtis Granderson, even a guy like Frank, uh, as Kendrick Morales, would you want guys like that occupying roster spots when sure they have that veteran leadership, but Ultimately, those are spots that could go to players who are younger, are better, and really, with something like sports and and everything, really, you just have to learn, and that comes with experience, and Josh Donaldson can say all he wants. He can teach guys how to swing. He can teach guys his uh, signature leg kick, but until these players go out onto the field and start logging in innings, they're not going to learn, and having players like that just clog up roster spots eventually it's just it's just not going to help this team out only time will tell with spring training commencing and going on and, and driving me crazy because i think it's just too bloody long i mean i've always had trouble with that with this particular sport you know it always seems like with hockey training camp comes and goes but with spring training it's every day searching for some kernels of hope right i mean that's that's where the blue jays are now is showing off the promise of hope the future uh, it hasn't been encouraging with some of the injuries, and, and I have no doubt that we'll have plenty more to talk about, guys. This is this has been a really great roundtable. Let's go around the horn and have uh, you each talk about what you're working on and where you can be found on the great big world of social media. Let's uh, let's start with you, Adam, and then uh, Marshall and uh, Richard to close us off. All right, cool. Thanks, Ari, for having me on. Richard Marshall, it's been great talking to you. Um, so you can find me on Twitter. Uh, at a Corsair 21 and uh, I run south of the com. Basically it's, I cover the Raptors and the Blue Jays uh, from an American perspective, south of the border. Uh, yeah, we do exist. I do exist. Uh, die hard for quite some time now. So I wasn't born in Canada. I was born in America. So yes, I do exist. And uh, I love this team and I love the Raptors just as much as anybody else. Um, I cover them on the regular. I have my own show my own podcast. You can check that out. Just search for South of the Six podcast. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. 
Well, he's truly drunk the maple syrup, the proverbial maple syrup. Um, uh, I like his, <laughs> his podcast too. Uh, I, I'm I'm on uh, well, mostly. Uh, well, you can get my Twitter handle Mauerback, um, and um, you can also see my stuff on alternet.org and also at counterpunch.org.org. Um, in fact, I've got a piece out on Counterpunch today comparing Donald Trump to uh, Toronto's favorite mayor, the crack-smoking uh, Rob Ford. So, um, you know, take a look at that. Um, and um, um, there's a few other pieces that are on alternates that you might want to look at. Nothing nothing to do with baseball. This is a nice break from that. Um, well, thank you again for having me on board. Uh, everyone can follow me on Twitter at, at Richard Burst. A fantastic follow. 10 out of 10 recommended. Um, right now, I'm a regional supervisor for the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network. And what we do is we collect data on mainly collegiate players and help out MLB teams, collegiate summer league teams. And as well, um, I also scout for the prep, ba- for, or prep baseball report Ontario here all across southern Ontario. And, yeah, again, I can't wait to be back on your podcast. Thank you. Well, Richard, the pleasure is mine because every time I have you on, I always feel like I walk out being able to challenge Marshall with some new minor league fact. And he's probably thinking, he's probably thinking, man, that Shapiro knows all this stuff. He probably goes out and independently researches it, and all I can say is, man, check out the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network. They like that. That's a pretty nice. I know your secret guy. now. Yeah. I can talk about. So I, I can talk about prospects forever. <laughs> I, I, I guess I, so. I, this, that means I can just talk to uh, talk about to, to follow Richard. I don't have to follow I'll follow you on uh, on Twitter anymore. I, I obviously I wouldn't do would never do that because your your um, your lead stuff is so good as well. So thank you. Wow, that's this is just such a mutual admiration society. I love bringing together a round table that walks out thinking that the Blue Jays are going to be peachy keen but you know what this was a great show because a lot of people will listen to this and appreciate that there's a lot more to consider than meets the eye and we need intrigue right i mean it's not going to be it's not going to be a dull moment at any point of this toronto blue jays season of that i'm sure you have been listening to marshall auerbach adam corsair and richard burfer here on the jays journal podcast gentlemen have a great night and thanks for tuning in thanks all right thanks all right Next up on the show, I'm thrilled to bring you another installment from the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network. You can find them at CB Scouting Net on Twitter. Richard Burfer and Dan Sagan are here to take us through a closer look at Lourdes Guriel and Rowdy Telez. Take it away, boys. Hi, Ari. Thanks again for having us on board on another podcast. Always love talking baseball. Uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about a couple of hitting prospects who have kind of fallen under the under the cracks the past couple of years, uh, starting with Rowdy Telez, and then we're going to talk about Lourdes Gurriel. Um, yeah, um, Rowdy Telez is a guy that probably fans are a little more familiar with. You know, he had a really good spring training, whereas Lourdes Gurriel is uh, a little more under the radar. He signed mm-hmm. to a really big contract, but I feel most fans don't know who he is. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, like I said, Telez had a really good spring training. He hit, you know, he hit 281, which is good for a major league spring also with, you know, a home run and a stolen base. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, then he just had a really poor year. This is a guy who was supposed to be a really good prospect. He signed to a huge signing bonus in 2013, and he looks to be really good. Yeah, and the big thing with uh, Rowdy Telez was in 2016 he had a big season in, in uh, the minor league. Uh, he was mashing baseballs. Uh, he had 23 home runs. You can see the raw power in there. 
And a big thing with a guy like Rowdy Pelaz is it's not just a bit. He's not just a big slugger guy. He's a guy who can also hit. He has an offensive field approach. Um, but in 2017, it just didn't really work for him in his first season of uh, AAA. Uh, some fans actually wanted him to take over Justin Smoke's spot in the major on the major league roster, but it just didn't really work. And the big thing for Rowdy Pelaz now is he's gonna get have another year in AAA. Um, if you look at his swing, he does a lot with his hands, so maybe that's the thing he's going to have to like quiet down, get a more quieter approach at the plate. But the tools are there. He's the work ethic is there, the makeup is there. The organization really loves what they have in this kid because of his willingness to learn how to play at first base. But really now it just has to all come together at the plate, and he really has the tools to make it happen. He has the power, and he has the hit tool to make it work. Yeah, you mentioned uh, you mentioned he likes to go the other way a lot, and uh, I watched a few games with him in AAA this most recent season, and uh, he definitely was going the other way, but it did seem at times that he was just straight up late on pitches. He wasn't you know timing it well and that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, he hit, he hit 222 the entire year, but his uh, his strikeout rate was about the same as it normally was. Same with his walk rate. So it just seemed to be. Perhaps you know a little bit of a timing issue, and uh, his home runs went way down. It went down from 22 to six. So it, uh, you know, this might be just an adjustment year for him. Mm-hmm. Expect for a bounce back this year. Yep. Uh, moving on to uh, Lourdes Gurriel real quick. Um, a, li- a little bit of a lesser-known prospect. He's the younger brother of Yuli Gurriel, who, as many people know, he's on the Houston Astros. He has that superstar look. Uh, you can really tell that. It's- uh, his older brother was in the big leagues maybe 10 years earlier. He could have been that next um, star player in the league. But Lourdes Gurriel is a little bit different. He's more of a utility type of player. They've been using him as short mainly. And really, he projects more for the corner outfield spot. Uh, the plus arm is there. The range and the speed, not so much, which is why seeing him at a premium position on the next level might be a little bit of an issue. But really the big issue with uh, a guy like Lourdes Gurriel would be his bat-to-ball skills, his timing at the plate. The raw power is there, and you can see it where when he really gets into a ball on the minor league level, but then his OBP is under 300, his batting average is low 200s. That's all really his bat-to-ball skills, the timing, and a lot of scouts don't really know if he can really put it all together at the plate, and that will be the big thing for a guy like Lourdes Gurriel. Yeah, this is Gurriel's a guy that I would not call a five-tool prospect. No. But with that being said, he doesn't seem to have any major weaknesses. You know, mm-hmm. he's at least an average runner, average yep. defender, average batter, you know, average power. Maybe you know a little a little plus side on the power and hitting, you know, for future grades. Yep. But you know, he doesn't seem to be lacking in any major category, mm-hmm. which is good. Yeah. And um, he uh, he had a little bit of an off year this year after being you know really good over in Cuba, but uh, you know like Telez, you know it might have been just uh, a matter of getting adjusted. And uh, I think with this guy as well, you should expect to see a better year from him next year. Than, well, I should 100%. say this year. And for a guy like Lourdes Gurriel, who could be a utility player who can play all over the field, there's always going to be a spot for a guy like that in the major leagues. Absolutely, there will be. Yeah. Anyways, Ari, thanks again for having us on board. Always love doing this with you.